a charismatic leader with a Zen philosophy and a fitness model physique, a crowd of eager young disciples looking for a direct path to God. On the outside, this group had all the features of a Shangri-La society, but on the inside, it became mandatory to worship the leader and submit to his every whim. Was this the blueprint for a perfect society, or really just an abusive cult? This week's episode is The Buddhafield Cult. In the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood We've had so many people tag us and send us and DM us <laughs> the SNL sketch that happened on Saturday, which is spot on, by the way. It's so good. It's oh, very it's so appropriate good. for this week's topic. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about the murder show mm-hmm. uh, music video. Um, I'm, I love Saturday Night Live. Oh, I yeah. feel like it's for the last like five to 10 years, it's been really trendy to be like, SNL sucks. But it's like anything where there's a lot of it. There's hits and misses. And I feel like there are more hits than misses. I constantly call Paris's Overnight Oats Overnight Salad because of the song Overnight Salad, <laughs> which is one of my favorite is Daniel Craig and A.D. Bryant. And it's another music video like this one. Mm-hmm. So Those I are think great. They, Same they with the uh, Wish and Boot. Yeah. <laughs> wish and Boot's God, so I'm gonna good. I'm going to watch immediately when we stop recording tonight. I'm going to watch Wish and Boot. Uh, one of my favorites of all time. So and good. The, yeah, it's so good. So this week, they, they, they knocked it out it. of the park with not only murder shows, but then you have the hot husband, Nick Jonas, coming home, and he's like, cult shows, cult <laughs> shows. And I was like, how perfect. Mm-hmm. We're, and then also, I know they throw shade on the baking shows, but come on. Dude, I told to. you, it's like somebody just went into my Netflix account. <laughs> That's all it is, murder, <laughs> cult, and baking. On spot on. That's all you need. I'm, I like the chopped. I like cooking shows versus baking shows, but same same thing. I like chopped as well. I I specifically really the only baking shows I really like are British. British, yes. Great British Bake Off. And then I wouldn't call Nailed It a baking show, but I <laughs> I love Nailed It. Um and I do like Chopped as well. I do like I a lot of cooking shows. I like competition shows. We just watched the chopped Halloween when my mom was staying over during the snowpocalypse. And it was, I don't know if you've seen the episode, but the lady lops off the end of her finger. <gasps> and oh. is ble- she's bleeding everywhere. Is it a bit because it's Halloween? Was it <laughs> no, a fake it's finger? So, so real. Oh, shit. And the judges are like, she's literally bleeding over the cooking station. <laughs> Like, she was trying to chop these Brussels sprouts. There's fucking blood everywhere. So she's, like, putting a Band-Aid on. She tries to put on a glove. The other the other chefs are looking over their shoulder thinking, oh, my God. And, the, of course, they do talking heads. And they're like, we looked over and saw Susan was just bleeding everywhere. And so then they go to, of course, the chefs are trying all the dishes. And they get to hers. And they say, we're obviously not going to eat this because there's blood in it. Oh. Like, we literally see blood on this Brussels sprout. And she's like, I'm so sorry, chefs. And then why would you serve that? Dude, 
Oh, Un- man. Somebody from production needed to bandage her freaking hand up. I don't have to tell you, Susan got chopped twice that day. Yes, she did. <laughs> uh, it was fucking terrible. But they also do a great SNL. I think it's kind of like nailed it where they do the cake, the Eddie Murphy one specifically, where they make the different cakes and the one cake's like, kill me. And it like talks and foams at the mouth. It's very funny. I don't remember that one. It's, it's a very, they've done it with a couple celebrities, but per, I mean, of course, the Eddie Murphy episode of SNL is just phenomenal, yeah. but uh, that sketch in particular is very funny because he plays it so like upbeat. He's like, it's great. And it's like, I'm the devil. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. Don't listen to the cake. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys, you guys have our number. SNL has mm-hmm. our number with that murder show, cult show, baby yes. show. We yeah. are in it. You know, the first time I met your mom, she, oh, I think <laughs> she was like, Christy, great show. Cause it was at a live show. Second mm-hmm. thing out of her mouth. You have got to watch the documentary. Holy hell on HBO. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh my God. It has everything. I was like, I've seen it. It's wild. <laughs> that was probably 2018. That was like our, or it maybe was 2019. 20- 2018 it was the first dch show yeah that was 2018 october 26th i have the poster in the studio october 26th 2018 uh yeah she's when i told her this was coming up she was like i told y'all to cover that i'm like yes it only (laughs) took us two years yeah (laughs) almost three it is a a while the documentary should have been called holy shit instead of holy hell because it is man and also Michael, Mikhail, how Michelle, did, Michelle mm-hmm. he looks like a character Fred Armisen would play. <laughs> Does he, he looks like Tommy Wiseau. So yeah, same. Yeah. Because yeah. Tommy Wiseau looks like a Fred Armisen character. Like, I've, I'm still not convinced that Tommy Wiseau is not a deep, like, Borat Fred Armisen. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. where he's, like, deep undercover. Yeah, his, he does. His head does not match his body. Correct. It is a cut, cut and paste job. <laughs> if you just took his head off, you're like, damn, he's ripped. But then you put that head on, you're like, oh, what happened? No, thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, thank you. I will have zero of that. Mm-mm. Yeah. He's a, uh, this is a Nancy McKinney. He's an odd duck. <laughs> he's a, he's an <laughs> yeah. odd duck. And you watch this. I mean, it's phenomenal. Hats off to the filmmaker, Will Allen. Mm-hmm. He's He does an excellent job and especially working through the pain of going through this. Um, but you know, as a filmmaker, he's still somewhat, I feel like is, you know, obviously every filmmaker, every documentarian tells their version of a story. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just straight up unedited footage. When you edit you by nature, you're kind of choosing, but I still think he was reasonably fair. And also like, it's very well done of like leading you down this path Mm -hmm. and seeing things firsthand and, uh, he, I think they probably called it Holy Hell because he submitted to Sundance. <laughs> I don't think they went a movie called Holy Shit, but it is. <laughs> Holy Do you know shit. Jared uh, Leto is the is a, the producer of it? He's also a cult leader. Oh, isn't he though? Yes. Somebody recently a- suggested his cult. Correct. And then you, when you look it up, it's like, is it a bit? Is it not a bit? Like, eh, we don't know what's going on. Possibly, possible cult. Also, Andrew Keegan, 90s star, also a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. Too many. Don't do that. That's Wait. Nice. Which one was Andrew Keegan? He was, oh, he plays like the douchebag guy. I want to say in, it's not. 10 Things I Hate About You Is it you 10 Things I Hate About You? I think okay. one of those. He's like the asshole guy. He's not, he was not the Red Power Ranger, was he? No. No. Okay. Because I recently watched this ridiculous show called Bling Empire. I think I told you about yes. it. It's <laughs> just about all it. about like rich socialite 
Asians in LA. And one of the women's boyfriend was Andrew, who was the Red Power Ranger. Okay. And he is the biggest douchebag. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it was wild to see him just unfiltered and unfettered. Uh, not a good boyfriend either. Well, I was a green slash white ranger girl, so Tommy, played by Jason David Frank, who one time a friend had a, had him on video saying, hey, Heather, what's up? And oh. I lost the video. It existed oh, at no. some point, and I have now lost it. So the next time there's a Comic-Con, I'm totally going, and I'm going to meet the green ranger. Yeah, they're always there. That was kind of, I was, that was after my time. Yes. So yes. my younger brother was, Kyle, my youngest brother, who's your age, was into Power Rangers, but I was oh, never yeah. really into it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I like taped it on VHS tapes. If we could not stay home, I like we would go out to eat or something. I would have to set the recorder and record it, and my parents could not record over it because there was no like DVR back then. Uh-huh. I was obsessed. I was. It was a lot. My family was like too, maybe too indulgent of my very strange tics of like having to record every episode of the Power Rangers. Would you go back and watch them? Yeah, or just the watch them once. Oh, you'd no, rewatch them. Yeah, oh yeah. That's why I had to collect them. You couldn't record over them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a whole collection. They're worth you gotta a million find that dollars. Video. Yeah, and now they're <laughs> and now didn't they recently redo the Power Rangers? There's been like 15 different iterations. I think so it's a little like, more, um, uh, less problematic now. Well, it was originally the reg- like the Power Rangers where it was like. They just dubbed in the American actors, and then all the fight scenes were still, like, the Japanese mm-hmm. actors, which you could just physically tell it was not the same yeah. people. <laughs> and then they redid it, and it was, like, Ninja Rangers, and they did it again, it was Space Rangers, and they did it again, it was Dinosaur Rangers. So they oh, had wow. these, like, reiterations, but I only liked the original The ones. original. You're the yeah. OG. OG. But, yeah, I... uh I uh, watched this, you know, for research, and uh, it was the first time I had seen it after my mom and you both told me to watch it, and whoo, whoo. It's a doozy. Check it out. Check it out. It's a lot, though. There is sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. We'll have to say that up front so mm-hmm. folks know. Uh, of course, we don't get super graphic with it, but the film definitely is very graphic. With It doesn't show it, obviously, but the descriptions yeah. of it, it's real, it's very harrowing uh, survivors' stories. Yes, yeah. Like most uh, cults, there's sexual abuse in it. Oh, yeah. There were not children, though, because he hated them, which we'll also get into that, too. And dogs. What a fucker. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. In 1985, 22-year-old Will Allen had just graduated from Dallas's Southern Methodist University Film School. Upon graduation, Will returned home to Southern California and came out to his family. Sadly, his mother rejected him when he told her that he was gay, kicking Will out of the family home. Feeling lost and adrift, Will gladly accepted his sister's invitation to join her at a secret spiritual community, of which she was a member. It was based out of West Hollywood and called the Buddha Field. He doesn't super go into his background, but at some point his parents were in Fort Worth. I was wondering why he would, not that it's not a great school, SMU, Pony Also, up. you're a alum. My alma mater, but mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, eventually his parents moved back to Fort Worth, so I take it that they were from Fort Worth. But uh, but yeah, he was kind of adrift, and uh, when your sister tells you she's got all the answers, yep. And like like most people, and from uh, I think it was the Huffington Post article I read of all of the several survivors that were interviewed, you know, 
they're like, what would make someone join this? And they were all like, we were looking for answers. We felt lost. We were uh, young. We wanted something exciting. We wanted to feel high without really getting high and find a community. And that is what cults prey on. People looking for guidance. Mm-hmm. While members of the Buddha field called the leader Michelle, those that knew Michelle from his previous life knew him as Jaime Simone Gomez. Born in the early 1950s, Jaime was the son of a wealthy rancher in Venezuela where he grew up, according to sources from CNN. As a young man in the late 1960s, Jaime thirsted for fame as an actor and moved to America, setting his sights on Hollywood. Yeah, the article and also the film both kind of, he, he idolized and idealized L.A. as like the answer, the best place. I will go there and be famous. I think I've said before that like from the 20s to the 60s, I feel like you could just move to L.A. and get in a movie. Yeah, pretty much. I think like, so. it was They're so like, hey, easy. To just, yeah, I was like, I'm <laughs> especially like in the 40s, like, or yeah, I guess Marilyn Monroe would have been like the 50s, right? Mm, in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, around that time, I feel like if you were just like attractive and you just moved, you showed up on a movie set, you could just like become a, a, a movie star. You just stumble on and they're yeah. like, come over here. <laughs> yeah. You want to be a star? So he's like, sure, I'll just move to America. And obviously, no one else in Los Angeles is moving there to become a star. (laughs) I'm the only one. Upon moving to California, Jaime changed his name to Michelle Rostand. The aspiring actor's big break came when he was cast in the 1968 Roman Polanski film, Rosemary's Baby. It was an uncredited non-speaking role. After that failed to launch his big Hollywood career, Michelle turned to adult films, performing in several gay pornographic movies, which he tried to keep hidden from those who knew him. Yeah, they show the clip of Rosemary's Baby, and it's at a party, and he looks over his shoulder, oh, looks in the camera, and it cuts away. Yeah. That's it. Man, have you seen that? Probably not. Rosemary's Baby? No, I've seen, like, clips on... Paris watches a lot of movie breakdowns, so, like, I've seen YouTube breakdowns of it, but I don't want to watch it. It's a, I haven't seen in a long time, but it's creepy. Although Roman Polanski can eat a dick. Yeah, for sure. Michelle also performed in the Oakland Ballet, honing his dancing skills. In addition, he studied yoga and became a certified hypnotherapist. Before long, Michelle was holding weekly meditation, yoga, and wellness sessions, which attracted the fit, young West Coast crowd. One of those young people was Amy Allen, Will's sister. Over the course of the next 22 years, Will became a devout member of the group and used his filmmaking skills to document life inside the Buddha field, a documentary of sorts that he would later title Holy Hell. In the footage, one member described the group as being full of some of the smartest and most beautiful people I'd ever found in my entire life. In fact, member after member explained the feelings of euphoria and joy they found in the Buddha field, running through the forest, diving into lakes and rivers, and living a wild and free life. I think we've talked about it before, but you know when people recut movie trailers that it turns like the cable guy into like a buddy, yes. com- you know, whatever, Mary Poppins into a horror film. The trailer for this, if cut properly, I would join this group. I yeah, mean, sure. it looks hot people. Yeah. All smoking hot, having fun. They're laughing. They're swimming. It's the most beautiful background. They cut out all the horrors. Yes. But if you're just looking at the brochure, I could be lured into this. It looks like a sandals resort. 
Yes, or it's like a wellness retreat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the euphoria was not without strings attached. Michelle routinely asked members what they would like to surrender and what worldly attachments they wanted to give up. His loyal followers wept and were willing to give up everything, including family, friends, and money. That's where you start to see the cult stuff coming in. Yeah. They were, they were so taken by him. Like so many of them say he was so charming. He would just look at you and you felt like you two were the only people in the world. And he made you feel accepted. And he was funny and charming and, and silly. He's, again, we're not the right people for this. Yeah. Because I would have started talking to him and he would have immediately creeped me out. <laughs> what they found like charming and so um, attractive, I f- would find just insanely creepy. It's too much eye contact. <laughs> he wore a lot of like polo shirts. Right, This is the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. He was very trendy. They said he always wore the nicest clothes, the trendiest clothes. And so if you're a young person who's lost in the world your brain subconsciously goes oh he looks like the guy on the cover of a magazine mm-hmm. so he must be safe i mean it, whether r- right wrong or indifferent you're you're lulled into a false sense of security by a familiarity that he fosters by simply dressing how he thinks famous people should dress like he's mm-hmm. he's almost he's an actor acting in a role of like this oh, is sure. what a famous person should act like and i will have fans and it's like he manifested it in that case he is magical and they the members that have been interviewed said the ex-members now that when they would go to these groups and meetings that, you know, one of their friends would always invite them to. So you already have like an in, which makes you feel comfortable. And Will said when he showed up, like they all knew he was coming. His name was on a chair waiting for him. They were all excited because they knew his sister. He automatically had already been accepted into this group because Mm -hmm. of his sister. So you're immediately like, Oh, I didn't ha- even have to work for this. You're just mm-hmm. immediately accepted and, and you leave feeling so good about yourself. And he said, I felt like I was high, but I hadn't done drugs. I mean, that's a alluring feeling that you want to get back. And that's, that's why you keep going back week after week. You have the hot kids table telling you, come mm-hmm. sit with us. And you're like, oh, I fit in. It makes me think of Shit's Creek when she's in there like, oh, my God, this is a cult. And Twyla's like, oh, yeah, this is a cult. <laughs> she knew. And she's like, I thought you guys knew that when we came in here. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's like that where and also the videos of his sessions that he had and everything was very he's he's funny. He's like interesting. It's not like church. It's not. You right. know, I mean, I'm sure there's funny, interesting churches, but, you know, it's more like it's like he's doing like a stand up set. Mm-hmm. Members had various backgrounds that led them to the group. One man Will interviewed grew up on what he described as the violent streets of Chicago. Another grew up in a hippy-dippy type family. And a third came from a traditional Catholic background. Some were driven professionals. Others were lost, searching for meaning. Some members had happy childhoods, while others had broken families. But the one thing they all had in common was a search for meaning in life and for a spiritual connection to other people. They were also all uncommonly attractive, fit, and dedicated to their leader. Michelle, known as the teacher to his followers, held weekly satsang meetings in West Hollywood, California, where followers would come and seek of spiritual guidance. He spoke in rhetorical questions, in a soft voice, with a slight accent, and was described as funny, witty, and playful by members of the group. He was also bronzed and physically fit, 
attributes he also demanded of his followers, and frequently showed off his physique while swimming with them while wearing a skimpy Speedo. Love the Speedo. So many. So many Speedos in this documentary. Everybody's wearing Speedo. I was surprised nobody's wearing the Borat, like, yeah, Yuna <laughs> bathing suit. And it, because he's from Venezuela, I think that's a lot more common over there. So, because yeah, so America many beaches. people, yeah, so many people in articles I've read to the ex-members are like, wasn't it a red flag that he was just always wearing a Speedo? And, and they're like, no, he was European. So, well, he's South, South American. South American, yeah. Michel said he had been led to a great spiritual awakening by a master and now wanted to pass that awakening on to what he called his disciples. Despite this language, Michel described Budafield as an anti cult and non group. Mm, if somebody refers to you as their disciple, Yikes. That's a red flag. I am Jesus. You are my followers. But this is not a cult. No. Let's all be cool, you guys. That's all just cult 101 language right there. Well, you know what? If you are in a group and they say, we swear this is not a cult, it is. Yeah. Every it's time. like somebody starting a sentence with, I don't mean to offend you. And Whatever happens next racist. is going to be very offensive. <laughs> Misogynistic. Something's yeah. coming. Or no offense. I'm not racist. Yes, you are. Because yeah. if you weren't, you wouldn't have just started your sentence with that preface. Yeah. Whatever's fixing to come after that. This mm -hmm. is not a cult, but we need you to give up your family and identity <laughs> and money. Yes. And change your name. All right. Members' entire lives became wrapped up in the Buddha field. The group grew to around 100 who lived together and spent all their free time with one another. It was a commune-like community where clean eating and clean living, including physical fitness, were emphasized. You live with three people. Yeah. That's already a lot of people. That's a lot of people in this house. <laughs> so I, if Honestly, the main reason I couldn't be in a cult is because of... All of the people I would have to live with. Get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. I it can't like deal with that world. much human interaction on a daily basis. No, no. It's like a, it's like Big Brother or the real world or mm -hmm. Love Island or something like that. The videos of them mm -hmm. all living together and they're all cooking and laughing together. And it exhausted me when I was in college and I had mm -hmm. two roommates. Yeah. And that was too many. That was too, too many people me living with. It was yeah. like, it is not worth it for me. To live no, I, could, I couldn't do it. I could be in a solo cult. Yeah, which I kind Paris, of already am. Well, and Paris was in a fraternity, and I'm like, you lived in a house with like multiple people. Like, how? How? Mm, how? He I just can't. loved it. They love it. I'm like, ugh, no, I could not. Could not. I couldn't. No. After my last roommates in college, I said I will never live with another roommate unless I am in a romantic relationship with. It. Unless Same. that is the next time I'm living with someone, it's because I'm in a relationship. I just. Mm -hmm. I don't like roommates. No, I rented my spare bedroom out to a kid one summer, uh, like a college kid. That kid only ate Ritz crackers. <laughs> and the house, for every day that he lived there, the every surface was covered in Ritz cracker crumbs. Every Why? Could you tr try a saltine or yeah. something? It was only Ritz crackers. He and was a lot Also, duck. clean up Speaking after yourself. Fuck you, kid. Well, Lucy got the most of it, but any <laughs> higher up surfaces. Did y'all ever talk? Um, 
he wouldn't sit down in the living room. So it was bizarre because that was the summer where I was very into Criminal Minds. And so uh, it was kind of rude because he came in and was like, oh, my mom really likes this show. I was like, fuck <laughs> you. Get out of here. But he wouldn't. It would be like a monster on Criminal Minds, like chopping up a body. And he's just standing there stuffing crackers in his mouth. Just And I'd be like, did you want to have a seat? Which then makes me seem like a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> but he was the weirdo. And he would go, No. It's not worth the 500 bucks or whatever I was charging. I was like, it's not. No. It's not worth it. No. I'm good. In addition to the weekly satsang meetings, Michelle led disciples on retreats. At the Shakti retreat in Arcata, California, Michelle performed rituals on members where he would place his hand over their face and they would pass out. In the Hindu philosophy, Shakti refers to the divine feminine energy that is responsible for creation, maintenance, and destruction of the universe, according to the Asia Society. Michelle claimed that followers would experience the transfer of energy from the master to the disciple. Members described it as a drug-like euphoric experience. Looks like a Benny Hinn uh, televangelist, you know, when he's like, yes. in the spirit of the Lord, and they fall down. Also, I read that what he would really do is press on their eyes in a way that would cause um, when they open them to see like beams of light. Mm. And so it was perceived by them because if you're wanting, if you're told by someone that you are following and you're brainwashed, you're, you're going to see God, you're going to experience something you've never experienced. And then you open your eyes and you see like, beams of light because your eyeballs are just being pressed on you think that that's what's happening and you he, lose your mind and think you're having an acid trip this man is mashing on folks eyeballs in the mm -hmm. forest <laughs> what mm -hmm. is happening? Yeah. but i guess that's genius because like you said it's a physiological manifestation of a thing he told him to believe mm -hmm. and he's that's genius to think maybe if i smush their eyes the right way then they're gonna see something and, mm -hmm. and if you tell him in advance after I say this ritual to you, you're going to see X, Y, and Z, and then you know what literal buttons on a person to push. Then and if it didn't work, all he did was say, well, you're just not ready. You're not devoted enough. Totally gaslighting them. Mm -hmm. So either way, you've you've got a, a fail-safe operation here. This is a good scam he's running. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The ultimate step members needed in order to be taken to enlightenment was called the Knowing Retreat held in Mammoth Lakes, California, in 1989. Michelle told members that if they approached him at the retreat and asked, he would provide them the direct experience of God. Based on the Hindu book, the Bhagavad Gita, members expected to see, hear, feel, and taste God at the knowing retreat. However, Michelle was not going to reveal God to all of the participants. It would only be a select few disciples who would be chosen to ascend to the higher realm of enlightenment. Part of being ready to receive the experience was the members' willingness to give up everything in their lives. The genius way to get people to be devoted to you yeah. is to sow dissension amongst them. Yes, yeah. You you are their savior. Mm -hmm. You create enemies amongst the ranks. Mm -hmm. And within their themselves, so they come to you looking for salvation and everything. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just gaslighting at its ultimate because mm -hmm. they're thinking, oh, man, this is all my fault. I'm the one that hasn't given up enough of myself and enough of my previous life 
to be able to experience this. So I need to do more. Mm-hmm. He's sowing the seeds of uh, they're feeling insecure, basically, of like, am I doing enough? Well, apparently not enough for him to poke you in the eyeballs in the woods. Members returning to base camp after receiving the knowing walked up screaming, crying, and falling to their knees. One woman described it as feeling like she was on a three-day acid trip. And he and Will Allen has footage of this. People, yeah. not of the eyeballs, not of the staring contest in the forest, but the returning people. People walking out of they the They look forest. like they are drunk. It looks like Mardi Gras. They were like, yeah. woo, it's happening to me. And it's, you can imagine if you were on the uh, other end and not receiving the knowing how you would feel. Mm-hmm. And then what might you shed mm-hmm. and give up because you want to experience that? But what's so fascinating about that is the physiological response because obviously they didn't receive any kind of direct line to God or, or whatever. But because How do you know, Christy? How do that's, you know? I mean, maybe I don't, I, no, but, but I this think because this guy's a scam artist that they didn't. But they want to believe it so bad mm-hmm. that it's that's just the power of like of wanting to believe something and the power of suggestion from another mm-hmm. is just fascinating. Well, it says that he made intense eye contact with them and he's a licensed or certified hypnotherapist. Oh, that's true. So who's to say that he's not like staring at them in the eyes and when he's like, when you get to the end of the hill, you'll be on the biggest high you've ever had in your life. Mm-hmm. And the, they either don't recall it or they liked the high so much they forgot it or they wanted it so they didn't tell anybody. Like, he just hypnotized you. It's fine. That's, yeah, that's Because he point. may have just, you know, had him trigger something in their brain. But when you think about that, you really think that... You know, it's like smile therapy almost of like, I mm-hmm. want to believe it's so bad that it will happen. Maybe that is manifestation or something. Yeah. I don't know. But it could just be hypnosis. <laughs> could have just hypnotized them. Man, a three-day acid trip sounds terrible. It sounds exhausting. <laughs> it's so it's, exhausting. Yeah. You need to take a vacation from that vacation. <laughs> That's when they invented that. that phrase was after an acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> after a three-day acid trip. Yeah. Other members were crying at the retreat as well, but for a worse reason. Michelle determined that they were not ready or didn't deserve to receive the knowing. This fostered division within the group, as some incredibly faithful members who had worked for the cult for multiple years were denied the knowing, while other new members were given it freely, even though they just recently joined. That would chap my Mm -hmm. ass. That's it's, like mm-mm. the girl just transfers high schools and all she's of a cool. sudden she's cool and it's like a cheerleader. And you're like, I have gone to this school for four years and I don't get to sit at that lunch table. The cool kids table with the mm-hmm. cult. Yeah, it's uh, it's or like at work when they hire a new person and they get all promoted. And you're like, mm-hmm. I've been here forever doing the yeah. bare minimum. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Like most cults, Michel used sex as a means of control over his followers. Sex, according to Michel, was a low-energy endeavor to be avoided. He told the members to abstain from having intercourse and not to have relationships with other members. Despite this rule, many members were secretly engaging in tons of sex, leading one to call it the booty field group. Well... First of all, great. <laughs> Hilarious. Very nice pun. I think for years they were sitting on that and they're like, all right, Will, when you interview <laughs> me for the documentary, I got this for you. But they show footage of Michelle doing his satsang 
And again, like I said, he's very charismatic, very funny. And he's like, sex, it's crazy between two people. They're sweating all over each other, grunting like, uh, 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 and ever it's getting, it's getting a lot of laughs. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. very relatable. And he's like, you're wasting your energy on something that's so, you know, fruitless and so like frivolous. And you're just like, uh, uh, uh. and again, people are laughing. Well, he was talking a mad game, but behind the scenes, that was fine for him, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Michel was also not abstaining and instead used his position of power to psychologically and sexually abuse numerous members, including Holy Health filmmaker Will Allen. Because he was a hypnotherapist, Michel required members to engage in weekly cleansing sessions, for which he charged $50 per person. The cleansings were hypnotic sessions in which Michelle would have people regress to dramatic experiences in their lives, then describe them out loud. Michelle used the intimate moments of these, quote, therapy sessions to run younger male members through homosexual fantasies. He would also have disciples remove their clothes so that they could be unattached to their body. Soon, Michelle would engage the disciples by having them, nude, come near him. He would then mount them and have sex with them as they laid lifeless beneath him. Then he would collect his $50 payment. It's harrowing to hear these people yeah. describe it. Yes, it's very upsetting. And they're very brave for talking about that. And several of them have said he, one reason he would tell the members not to engage sex with each other is because this was during kind of the height of of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And Will said that Michelle was very worried that he would get AIDS. And so as, but he also didn't allow any of the members to get tested and Mm. he himself also wouldn't get tested. So to kind of this loophole, he just said, Hey, no one's allowed to have sex except for me because I'm going to uh, groom and rape you. Mm -hmm. But because he knew that, well, he assumed they weren't having sex. He was like, okay, well, they're clean. I'm not going to get anything. Mm -hmm. Like one, one guy, he even took his virginity. He'd been in the cult for like 17 years. Mm -hmm. And then, so he knew that he had been with no one Mm -hmm. and he presented it as this way of like, I, I'm saving you, you know, you don't want to lower yourself to those kind of standards and stuff. No, he just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get any kind of STD or anything. Mm-hmm. It was all a trap. And it was, of course, it's all for his own benefit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you hear and, and people genuinely believe that he had the answers and that he could heal them. And it's hard because they were all, you know, adults. But that's I think it speaks to the the power that he had over them and the psychological grip he had on them that it's classic it's like a therapist breaching that trust because he would have them and he would not do it on the very first session some people it was five or six months other people it was multiple years Mm -hmm. and that is like deep intense grooming of like week after week and he gets them to tell their deepest darkest secrets and they really 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 trust him and then he exploits that so it's really i mean he was playing the long game and he was a a huge predator i mean epic proportions and he he's attacking the people that he knows the most about i mean they're Uh telling him their most vulnerable things in in these yeah i mean it's like if you went to a counselor or therapist Uh and then they use all of the things you've been telling them against you to get you into bed Uh 
hundred percent. That you would never have told him that if you thought, oh, this is a guy I might hook up with. Mm-mm. It's like, no, I'm telling you that because you're my guru, my spiritual leader, my master. And then to have him turn on, it's like the ultimate betrayal. Yes. Meanwhile, the female members were berated for their appearances. At one swimming session, Michelle stood behind a female member, mocking her and saying her body was like a whale. This caused her to go on a 40-day liquid-only fast. He also described the female body in other derogatory terms, including calling breasts udders. There's, like, video of him, too, like, kind of mocking or making, like, you know, kind of... Yeah, I mean, he was... He himself was ripped, Mm -hmm. but he also demanded that of all his followers. He wanted Mm -hmm. all the followers to be models yeah or ballerinas and there were some women that Mm -hmm. would dance with them that would do these kind of ballets we'll talk about with him that were obviously there's like zero percent body fat and they were acceptable to him but anybody else that had even any kind of curves he was just like oh so so he obviously had some type of internalized body image issues that caused him to work out as much as he did and Mm -hmm. eat what he did and everything like that other forms of psychological abuse included disciples being forced to change their names to more exotic ones as a way to shed their former selves. Michelle also encouraged them to detach from their families and break the bonds with their family members, including one member who was kept from seeing her dying father before he passed. It's incredible how he just to the lengths and all classic cult stuff. I mean, tearing down your former self, having you break ties with any family member or person that isn't also in the cult, changing your name. So literally, like, you don't even know who you are anymore and Mm -hmm. you're creating this new, like, identity, one that he's controlling and and maneuvering and steering. That's what Will's mom said. You know, two of her kids were in it. And Mm -hmm. she's like, they came home with these weird names and, you know... We're like, you want us to call you what now? And they yeah. did it, but it's it, it strips you of who you are. You're Christy, mm-hmm. right? I'm Heather, right? You know, you think of who you are at the na- or in the name you've chosen for yourself or that we decide to go by the, you know, your full name is, you know, you, you go by Christy. That's who you are. And so to someone to go, no, you're Crystal Light Vision now. That's kind of a badass name, though. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but I mean, you're like, oh, I don't, who am I? Yeah. I don't know. And then somebody's telling you, this is who you are mm-hmm. in your ear. And you're like, you're right. That is who I am. Yeah, it's, it definitely try, causes confusion with your identity. And that's one way to keep somebody mm-hmm. like, complacent. That's why members have to be deprogrammed after years and years of brainwashing because they don't even know their identity. And when they do end up leaving, it's very traumatic and sad and like a death to them because what do you go back to when mm-hmm. you've abandoned all of that? And he kind of gave them each their little jobs of like, you're my massager, you're my fitness person, you're, there's one guy he has that makes these really elaborate fu- fruit salads for him. Mm-hmm. And the guy talks about, he's like, I would spend six hours carving a last supper into kiwis and mangoes and then... Michelle would look at it and then scoop it into a blender and make it into a smoothie. And so the idea, and he's like, but he looked at it. And so it was Mm -hmm. important to him. And so he gave him all these like kind of fake tasks where it's like, that's who you, no no one needed you to do that, but dude, like, okay, we're going to just chuck it in a blender. But they had, that's where you're stripped of your performer self. And then you're given this meaning Mm -hmm. and that's all, you know. So like you said, they have to be deprogrammed when they come out of it. 
it's like when Jerry tells George he's got to come over and flush the toilet because <laughs> he gave Elaine picking up the mail. Yes. Yeah, everyone wants to feel helpful. That's and feel right. like they've got a, a purpose. Right. In an interview with Esquire, Will was asked how he thought one man was able to have so much power. Will replied, You don't see it that way. I never thought, I'm going to join a group and give my power to someone. But there's a social proof that happens. And there's this group thing that goes on. There's a wave of agreement because we're all agreeing to do it. A lot of the principles of East versus West that we were doing, surrendering to the guru, dropping your ego, taking off your shoes before you walk into a room and leave the world behind. We didn't think of it as giving our power. We thought of it as empowering. And he also had a relationship with each one of us individually. He ended up getting everyone's power individually, one at a time. I thought that was really interesting that he said, we didn't think of it as giving our power. We thought of it as empowering. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're all being gaslit. Mm -hmm. Broken down Mm -hmm. to be built up by this person. And everything's wrapped up in them. You'd watch, you watch the video and he's walking around when later they, you know, they have their bigger house where they all live together and he's walking around and everyone follows him like little baby geese. Yeah. And just what he's eating an apple and they're like, look at him eating that apple. Like, at what point are you like, this is fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do this. I don't give a shit about Tommy. I can't go apple. swimming with this dude in the Speedo one more today. Especially while he makes negative comments about yeah. my body. Mm-hmm. In 1991, a non-member fell in love with a group member who did not return his affections. In retaliation, he began spreading awareness about the Buddha field in L.A., telling whoever would listen that they were a cult. He also involved famous cult expert Rick Ross and the Cult Awareness Network. Michelle, afraid of the increased scrutiny, took three of his inner circle members, packed their bags, and left in the night, leaving the remaining devastated members behind in Los Angeles, feeling lost without their master. I'll tell you what, it's the first time a spurned guy's (laughs) pissed offness has any sort of use. That he's like, if only she wasn't in that cult, she totally wouldn't bang me. (laughs) You're like, no, dude. She's both in a cult and also not interested. (laughs) But somehow it ended up working. But thank you for bringing awareness to this (laughs) cult. (laughs) It's an unfortunate side effect. But also the video after the people left, or after he left, the video of the remaining people, they are, I mean, devastated. Yeah. Stayed. I'm weeping openly. I mean, it's it's like you're. Imagine if all of a sudden you woke up and your parents had just abandoned mm-hmm. you. Or he'll be like, "What did you want to say to the master?" And they're like, "Master, I'm faithful to you, even if you are not here." And it's like, if you find yourself saying that sentence ever, yeah, just take a minute, mm-hmm. take a minute. Yeah. Michelle became obsessed with the idea that he was a Christ-like figure who was destined to be killed, just like Jesus. This led to a six-month walkabout where Michelle and his handful of helpers searched for a safe place for the group to relocate. They traveled east through the vortexes of Sedona, Arizona, and settled on Austin, Texas, after a member volunteered to buy a house for Michelle in the suburbs. Well, we're just keeping it weird, aren't we? I mean, coming on down. Come on Mm -hmm. down to Austin. (laughs) In an effort to keep himself safe, Michelle changed his name to Andreas. Once he determined the dust had settled, he had groups of the members in L.A. move to be with him in his new Texas home. Members headed to Austin without delay, and the group found itself reunited. New members were recruited as well, and the group grew, including via yoga classes 
and ballet enthusiast. I mean, you imagine you sign up for a yoga class and six months later, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Wait a second. Now I live in a commune. <laughs> I just wanted to work on my downward dog. In 1993, the FBI standoff with the Branch Davidians took place just north of the Buddha Fields Austin compound in Waco, Texas. Formerly Michelle, now Andreas, was frightened of the incident because he believed he would suffer the same fate as David Koresh. As such, Andreas encouraged members to keep their activities under wraps and even trained members what to do and how to respond should any of them be captured by the FBI. Primarily, he encouraged them to disavow any knowledge of him in particular. Yeah, they had, like, pop quizzes. Pop quiz, yeah. If the FBI I mean, is interviewing you. He, he at this point, is extremely paranoid. And, you know, I mean... If I was a cult leader and all of a sudden another cult leader, I saw uh, their compound up in flames not too far from me Mm -hmm. and found out what had happened, I would also be uh, nervous. But what I find really interesting about this is he said, we are not a cult. We are an anti-group, an anti-cult. Bitch, then why are you so afraid Mm -hmm. that this is going to happen to you if you're not a cult? Because David Crush was a cult. He was doing cult shit. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing cult shit, and you're fitting to find out what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, I, to me, and I'm sure he spun it to these members, obviously, and they're so indoctrinated, but you've got to be thinking, why is he so worried? I mean, it's like, hey, if you're not lying, why are you getting so defensive? Like, what are those types of, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, Why are you so concerned about the treatment of a cult leader if you <laughs> yourself are not a cult leader? Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. With Andreas's increased paranoia, the control and abuse of his disciples also increased. Members were not supposed to read books, watch TV, listen to the radio, or even have pets because Andreas hated dogs. He used followers as test subjects, having them undergo plastic surgery procedures so he could see if it was safe or how it looked before having it done on himself according to one member interviewed in the Holy Hell documentary. He's definitely started getting plastic surgery because his face, oh, I mean, yeah. it's a noticeable transition. Yes, very. Um, but all of these are reading books, watching TV, listening to the radio, and having pets are like my top things. If, if eating cheese. Also, <laughs> You're they, out at that they point. They ate like vegan food. Eating cheese, I would, this is not, you cannot recruit me for this. Other mm-hmm. cults, maybe, possibly. But this one, no. That's You're all out. my favorite yeah. things. Yeah. Well, in... Uh, Will says in later interviews that, you know, they didn't realize that he was stealing words from other leaders, you know, uh, prophecies and books and stuff Mm -hmm. because they didn't have access to any of those books. Mm -hmm. So, again, he's he's knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. with this scam. He's like, oh, I can just read this book on, you know, Hinduism and act like it is my all of my own original mm-hmm. thought and they're like oh this guy is a genius he's just a- like appropriating yeah exactly he's like children i will tell you the story of jerry george elaine and kramer <laughs> <laughs> they don't know because they can't watch tv yeah no in addition to hating dogs andreas also hated children on a secret recording he said spiritual growth and children do not always go together according to one member on holy hell when she came up pregnant Andreas told her to get an abortion and threatened her that if she did not, she would be ousted from the group. In an effort to stay in the group, the member had the abortion. That same member then began a relationship with another member and once again got pregnant. This time, Andreas threatened the child's father with being kicked out of the group. The woman did not get an abortion. 
So she did it a second time. It's, again, I use the word harrowing, watching her talk about this, and now with some space being out of it, and if there are people who get abortions on their own volition and free will, and they're happy that they did it, and it was great, but this was very coerced. Oh, yes. And she really wanted those babies. Like, you should, if you you get an abortion, if you need one, if you want one, but the fact that this was forced on her, you can just see that it's a lifelong pain. And a regret I'm sure she still lives with to this day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, I mean, so much of what he did is despicable and abusive. And this is just another example of that. A controlling a member, a controlling her body. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, and suggesting, and I use that in air quotes, that members get plastic surgery. Again, you're altering someone's body with, I mean, did they consent to it? I don't want to say consent. Mm-hmm. They uh, maybe acquiesced. Yeah, I think that's a better word. Yeah. <laughs> because but- you can only consent, I think, if you go into it truly with, you know, eyes wide open and no undue influence. And this is, yes. I mean, saying your whole life and home that you've totally built with all these people will be ripped from you unless you do this thing. That is coercion. Yes. Yes. Submission does not mean consent. Correct. And they're like getting cheek implants, chin implants, uh, boob jobs Nose and everything. Jobs. Yeah, just and the boob jobs, I don't think were for him. They no. just want he wanted the females to be more attractive or they were told you look like a whale and they're trying to be more attractive mm-hmm. for or your him. udders or whatever. When someone left the group, Andreas forbade current members from talking to them ever again. Then, rumors would spread amongst current group members that horrible fates had befallen the ones who had left. He also warned members against leaving, telling them they would also suffer and possibly die. One member said Andreas warned him, If I wasn't with him, I would get AIDS and I would die. And I believed him. Yeah, they'd be like, that oh, is so-and-so got hit by a car because they left the group. And such they psychological <laughs> abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And telling someone they're going to get AIDS and die if you if you leave? Especially at this time when it was a, you know, Yeah, a real a fear. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was... And you can see as the days go by, the years pass... He starts to get more desperate and his tactics start to get more extreme. Mm-hmm. And and that's very extreme to say, if you leave, you will die. And they yeah. said when they did get letters from people, they were like, no, Bob's fine. Like, yeah, he's in Bob Indiana. didn't get hit by a car. No, he's in Indiana now. He's all right. Mm-hmm. In 2005, the group made several sci-fi propaganda films that featured Andreas as an all-powerful healer. It was during this time that a shift happened in the group going from a group focused on the personal spiritual journey of its members to devoting all praise and love unto Andreas. Before long, Andreas's disciples began to get fed up. This was not a turn that I was expecting in the film, <laughs> but they show clips of it. It is a sci-fi movie with yep. like silver and he's like karate fighting. And this is clearly his like long, again, he's playing the long game. He's like, if, I, if Hollywood won't make movies, I'll move mm-hmm. to Austin. Richard Linklater, they make movies in Austin. Yep. I'll make my own movies. And there were people like Will. He had a talented filmmaker in his ranks who could help him make these. It was these vanity projects. It's like Tommy Wiseau in so many ways. Yeah. That you're, he said that it was to show the way in the light. But when you watch it, it's a sci-fi movie starring him. It's a vanity yeah. project. Yeah. And Will said that's one reason he was even able. Because people have asked like, 
if he was so secretive and this was a cult and everything, like, how were you able to film this? And he said, well, he one, I he gained my trust. And but two, like, I kind of pushed it like I wanted to kind of have a tie to my other self still. And that was his passion was filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So he started documenting stuff. And and he honestly believed, too, like what we're doing here is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And Michelle is who he went by at that at that time, told him, like, we need to document this. But then they started making these films to recruit other members or maybe just because he wanted to be in a movie and he would make Michelle look really good. Mm -hmm. in them. And it was I think he, Will was smart, whether, you know, he at the time really I mean, he did believe it until, you know, he eventually gets out. But if he if Michelle ever was like, no, don't film me. You can just play to his ego, play to mm -hmm. his vanity and be like, you look amazing, master. We need to record you for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said he knew, you know, not to film him when he was in a bad mood, mm -hmm. if he if things weren't going well. So he said now he realizes it wasn't at all accurate because he left so much out mm -hmm. that was bad. Because you couldn't, I'm sure, film mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. In 2006, a longtime member wrote a mass email to the entire Budafield group as he was on his way out that leveled incredible allegations, the most disturbing of which was that Andreas had been forcing younger male members into unwanted sexual relationships. Andreas emphatically denied the allegations in the letter, but the damage had been done. Some members began questioning Andreas, thinking the information in the letter could possibly have been real. But even those who clung to Andreas knew the letter was true, as those in his tightest inner circle had been in a sexual relationship with him for years themselves. It's really sad that one of the women said, she's she's like, I wept because I thought of these men as my brothers. And mm -hmm. uh, it's basically like your father figure has been abusing your siblings. And she's like, I immediately told him, I believe you. I have your back. And of course, Andreas doesn't like that. Uh, but she said, I had known these people for 25 whatever years, and I know they're not making this up. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and I think when you're one single leader with 100 members, the members are going to get way more FaceTime with each other. Despite if you try to sow, you know, dissension between them, they're still going to have more FaceTime. And you, you're you living with a person for 25 years. You get to know them. Yeah. And so she's like, I believe them, even though she didn't want to. Yeah. Even Will said, you know, even now, like he considers everyone in that his family mm -hmm. and i think despite that they all idolized the teacher and that was why they were there the real relationships were amongst each other for sure I mean, they were they were a true family mm -hmm. and you also are going through that together it's trauma bonding yeah i mean because no one on the outside can understand, you know, mm -mm. like they they're going to try and talk you out of it or question it. But only people out there like I don't have to explain anything. I don't have to justify it. Everyone accepts accepts me for who I am. Mm -hmm. And that is a very powerful thing. I think so. Yeah. After the first reports came out, a flood of others followed. Dozens confessed to other members of the group all the heinous things Andreas had done to them, including sodomizing them. Andreas had fostered a sense of isolation amongst members by telling them that he was only working this way with each disciple he had sex with and that it was important not to tell any other members of the group. Classic manipulation. Yeah. I mean, classic sexual abuse. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. don't don't tell anybody, you know, you can't you can't tell your mom that this is happening or, you know, 
she's going to be mad at you or this is our special little thing. Mm-hmm. Or, They'll be jealous of you. Yeah. Yeah. Or just any dude that's cheating on somebody True. With, yeah. with a bunch of other people. It's like, oh, you're my one and only. First of all, if somebody tells you that, if some if if somebody will cheat on who they're with to be with you, they will cheat on you to be with someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One by one, the members began leaving the group. Andreas recorded a response video that was shown to those that remained. The strange video shows Andreas in a living room, sitting on his throne, wearing a loose blue Nike tank top. He says the video is more than can be included in a biographical letter, but that it was not meant as an apology. He speaks in a slow, hypnotic voice and says, May all beings wake up. According to members who were present at the Living Room movie premiere, several people got up and left due to the video's disturbing tone. And those who stayed... Nobody bought it. Yeah, he's he lost him. It's hey, this, wild. This got away from him. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I said, he started becoming more and more desperate, these grabs for yeah. leadership. And this video is off the rails. He's wearing a blue <laughs> Nike tank top. He's staring into the camera. He's speaking full nonsense. And... I on a throne on a which he would weird... make people carry around as they followed him just in case he ever wanted to sit down somewhere yes. then he had his throne there he had throne carriers again you had fruit mm-hmm. salad guy you had throne guys that their job mm-hmm. was to carry him or to carry the throne and then and you had will was the documentary guy he, will should have been in on this the filming of this it was bad it was bad in a last dish effort to save the group Andreas decided to hold another knowing retreat, where he would spread the magic of the knowing onto the remaining members. Some members, especially those who were denied the knowing at the retreat 17 years earlier, were eager for another chance, even after all the information that had come out. But, unlike the euphoria that happened at the previous ceremony, the members who received the knowing at this retreat were resoundingly let down. Members said he gave a half-hearted performance that did not leave them in a state of joy. Damn, what if you were at that second retreat, though, and you didn't get it again? You would fucking <laughs> oh, lose it. Sick, sick burn. I mean, yeah. at this point, if you if I'm Andreas, I'm giving it to everybody. You got to. What the hell, yeah. man? You got yeah. to. It's like going out of business sale. Mm-hmm. You, you pass that the Lord on to everybody. <laughs> yes. Former members began to threaten legal action against Andreas. So to escape, he and a handful of members headed to Hawaii. He began conspiring with the remaining members on ways to exact revenge against those who would have him destroyed, asking his followers whether they knew anyone who could take his adversaries out or destroy their lives through the IRS or whatever way. Damn. Why does everybody go to Hawaii? To say, Keep your cults off that beautiful, sacred island. Leave for fuck's sake. Leave Hawaii alone. Leave Hawaii out of your bullshit. Yes. Hawaii don't need your shit. No. It is a beautiful place. We've done enough. Let them be. You can visit. Leave it nicer than you found it. And don't bring a fucking cult. Do we all want to just pick up and go to Hawaii when shit gets rough? Hell yes. Every day of my life. (laughs) All the time. But we can't. No. Because it's a vacation destination. That's what makes it special. You Mm -hmm. can't just go whenever you want. You got to earn it. You can't go plop your fucking cult down in people's home. Keep your cult off that gorgeous island. Mm -hmm. Make it a bumper sticker. In 2007, 22 years after the cult had begun, Budafield came to an end. 
Members described it as a big death or like a bomb had gone off. Those who had devoted their lives to the group found themselves alone in the real world without the safety net of the group and without the inspiration they had once found in their former leader. Since Andreas had encouraged members to cut ties with their families, many went back to mend their relationships. Still, some chose to follow Andreas to Hawaii. It fucking sucked because they had given a lot of their money to him. And like yeah. one person had had a job forever and they had a 401k and they had like liquidated it and spent all the money and lived on the money. And you're like, well, I have $200 and no television because I wasn't allowed to have one of those. So you have haven't like, talked to my family uh-uh. in 20 something years. I told my family to fuck off and now I have to go back to them. If the ones that are mm-hmm. still alive that I didn't miss. So yeah. it's it's rough, man. That is. In 2012. Filmmaker Will Allen returned to Oahu, Hawaii, to try and catch a glimpse of his former leader, Andreas, who by then had changed his name to Raiji, meaning God King. Surreptitious footage shows Raiji with an increased amount of plastic surgery, walking through the streets of Oahu with a gaggle of disciples in tow. Though when Will approached Raiji and asked whether the group was his disciples, he simply said, People come and go. As of 2015, most of the original 120 former members had left the group or left Raiji, according to Holy Hell. Yeah. How do you think he um, had these name changes? Do you think there was a ceremony or he just one day was like <laughs> gaslit them and they're like, Andreas? He's like, that's I don't, that's not my name. Oh, man. That's some Who, group of my who's name. Andreas? I've always been Raiji. They're like, first of all, bitch, you were Jaime, then you were Michelle, then you were Andreas, and now you're what the fuck ever Raiji. And he's like, no, that wasn't me. I don't know who yeah. you're talking about. That's a good question. I bet there was some sort of ceremony mm-hmm. or he's like, because he, he would say a lot because he would try and pit the members against each other True. and uh, would use them as like um, to find out what was going on with other members. Like, well, what's going on with Bob? You know, you need to tell me because if you don't tell me what's going on with him, then you're bringing bad karma to this group and to Bob. So then be like, well, Bob's sleeping with Sharon. You know, I know you told us not to or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but, and then he'd be like, oh, you know what? I saw this in a vision. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I, and so I could see him saying, I've had a vision that I am now mm-hmm. the, the God King and everyone shall now address me as Raiji. And they're like, oh yes, Raiji, we knew all along this was, you know. I'm like, sounds good. We were, uh, Paris and I were both very baffled at this interaction on the beach it is it is it's wild he's just standing there and you run up to i mean will allen i mean praise because he has he himself was sexually abused by this man yeah and i'm a survivor of sexual assault and abuse and like go the bravery it took to walk up to the person that abused you and say Mm -hmm. do you remember me do you recognize me i mean my stomach dropped i was like Mm -hmm. oh and the you feel how nervous he was. Yes, yeah. and it's he's so brave. And then I said we were baffled at how just fucking blase ragey mm-hmm. is. He's like, oh, yeah. oh, it's you. Yeah, I recognize you. Hey, yeah, very not like oh, I know who you are and I know what I did to you. It's like no big deal. Hey, yeah, it's like fuck you. Yeah, it's like seeing a dude that you were in a relationship with for years, mm-hmm. and he's like, what. What was your name again? Mm-mm. You're like, bitch, you know who I you am. You know yeah. what you did. Yeah. In 2015, the film premiered at Sundance. The filmmakers also held a premiere in Hawaii, which, according to CNN, 
Raiji's current day followers took as an attack on their way of life. In a 2016 emailed statement to CNN, he said, It is heartbreaking to see how history has been rewritten. Holy Hell is not a documentary. Rather, it is a work of fiction designed to create drama, fear, and persecution, knowing that is what sells. It is devastating to see these friends, who were once so filled with love for the world, become so angry. If any of my actions were a catalyst for their disharmony, I am truly sorry. May all beings find peace. Though there have been no official reports, it is believed Raiji remains in Hawaii, where he leads a small group and teaches yoga classes. Goddamn. Here's a question. What I want to know what his family must think, or those that knew him from Venezuela, because you're like, wait, who's Jaime now? Because, yeah, he's had four name changes. Now this documentary has come out. Mm-hmm. Like, you raped how many people? Yeah, because I don't remember him ever discussing his family no. in the documentary. The, all, they tell, all they talk about the CNN, and I think there's brief mention of it, is that um, when they're uncovering, like, who he was, you know, as the cult is starting to unravel, like, who even is this guy? And they're like, oh, he was in these movies. Oh, he used to dance to the ballet. Oh, his dad was a wealthy rancher. It was really vague. It's mm-hmm. there's not any specifics of like any other family members are in the U.S. or anything like that. So who knows if they've seen it or if they're if he hasn't living relatives or what they think about it. Or they're like, yeah, I'm kind of technically related to that guy, but we kind of disclaim him because he's yeah. a monster. Will did say in that Esquire interview that at the Sundance premiere, someone that knew Jaime and like when he was Jaime came up to him and said, he told me way back then that he always wanted to have followers and have people follow him. And that Will said, like, in that moment, he was like, man, fuck this guy. Yeah. He had this whole thing, this plan laid out when he started doing what he was doing with these yoga classes and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Will said, by the time I got there, he already had all these people that were buying into it. And I just kind of trusted that they had vetted him. Yeah. And and your sister tells you, hey, I joined this thing yeah. and it's great. And it, it's definitely well put by one of the members who said, this guy was an actor and this was the greatest role of his life. And she said mm-hmm. he was playing this part. And they also, I think, you know, we kind of, there's only so many details we can include, but they he had them build this whole theater for him, which is still in mm-hmm. Austin. And it was to put these shows on and it was all about him and he would make people rehearse forever. And like one time they would perform it, but it was like he was the big star. And so mm-hmm. if from day one, he's like, I want followers. And in his mind, that means either as a celebrity or he starts doing these yoga classes and he's like, I have these students. I wonder if I could get them to like live in a house together and then they do Mm -hmm. it. And it's like, I wonder if I could get them to give me massages all the time. And then they do it. You're he's going to take it to the extreme because obviously an abuser does that. They try to take more Mm -hmm. and more and more that they can. So that I think that that woman summed it up of he's an actor and this is the Mm -hmm. role of a lifetime. Yep. So what else do we think? Oh, he sucks. He does suck. Yeah. And what's, what's, just sad and uh, hopefully i mean this documentary came out and will said that people members that were in it you know in hawaii and stuff like contacted him and said thank you so much we always kind of felt like something was 
off, but this really shined a light on it. And so they left. But there's still members that have seen this and know everything and still, you know, they're so indoctrinated and brainwashed that they make excuses and mm-hmm. say, like, no, that's this is all this is all fake news. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. And I hate to be reductive and say he sucks. He does. But he's also very, very good at what he does. I think it's hard to when somebody has victimized others to sort of write them off. And and I, I mean, he's just a shitty person. He's selfish. He's an abuser. But also he's obviously very skilled that he, despite mm-hmm. having literal video footage evidence, people still are like, no, nope, I'm with this guy. I'm yeah. staying. So that's that's a testament to his power that he has that I don't think it's like supernatural power. I think it's hypnosis, psychology or psychological type of uh, brainwashing. Exactly what you said. So mm-hmm. yeah. and targeting people that are looking are at a point in their life where they're looking for guidance and are susceptible to, you know, somebody coming in and kind of steering them in a direction and wanting answers given to them. And he's the one to do it. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well. The moral of this, if you're in Hawaii, one, stop taking your damn cults to Hawaii. For real. If you're if you are in this cult in Hawaii, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Yep. Reach out to to someone. I just meant leave Hawaii, but also leave the cult. Yes. Oh yeah. Too. Yes. <laughs> get out of both. Leave of those Hawaii things. alone. We love providing Sinister to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including our Are Am I the Asshole and Relationship segments, where we read and discuss the best of what Reddit has to offer. And we also recently uploaded the video of Christy reacting to Fiona the Hippo showing up at her baby shower and her sobbing openly. It's fantastic. <laughs> and many people say they, they themselves have cried watching it. Highly recommend. So many. And I watched it again and cried again. Watch, <laughs> I cried watching myself cry, which is a very meta thing to do. It's a very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> you also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For our patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of a conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.
Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Victoria Tribble. Cassandra Arthur. Ellie Lyle. Ashley Brown. Vanessa Cosner. Madeline Blaine. Allie Sweeney. Carson. Elizabeth Hall. Janice Sims. Ariel Leonard. Laurel Hosler. Lauren Fitzpatrick. Ashley Wills. Sarah Kaiser. Kate McCarthy. Courtney. Exo Greenbean. Lisa Miller. Mallory Power. Jocelyn Morellis. Glitter Goblin. Hannah Jasinski. Eliza. Amanda Schaff. Sandra Nelson. Serena W. Mel P. Erica Crittell. Julianne Mack. Hannah Ibrahim. Kayla. Kelly Darby. Marjorie McClay. Katie Mashler. Michael Lapham. Lena Kay. Lilius. Cindy. Taylor Walsmith. Jessica McElroy. Samantha Santiago. Abby Hassett. Aaron C. Jen Reinhardt. Roxanne Osborne. Tiara Schrombeck. Hadley Jorgensen. Katie Marks. Amanda Klingel. Grace Bedancet. And Anna Barbaresi. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We sincerely appreciate it, especially during these trying times. We couldn't do it without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Sinister Who.